Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Well, brethren, um, as you turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis and chapter 47, let me say a few words as I bid farewell. As I was listening to the teasers a few moments ago, uh, I was being rather torn into two uh, because I, I would have wanted to hear about all these aeroplanes that are flying missionaries around Africa and also those seeking to reach out to uh, the new tribes. Uh, however, we, we have a conference back home that began last night and uh, church is involved in hosting it. We have the whole of the southern African region streaming into Lusaka about 1,500 people gathered already last night, and on Facebook I was being caused to, to be homesick as I was listening to how this last night's meeting went and the fellowship and so on. Uh, but one day, Northern Ireland and Zambia will be next door to each other in heaven. So <laughs> this being torn between the two won't happen at all. Uh, but while we are here below, uh, these are realities. The Apostle Paul spoke about it, isn't it, in uh, Philippians 1, where he wanted to be with them and at the same time was longing to get to heaven. I've thoroughly enjoyed the, the hospitality that I've enjoyed here, the friendships, the, uh, the fellowship, the feedback that uh, has come from uh, the Ministry of God's Word. It's my first time to Northern Ireland, and uh, I'm going back with uh, wonderful memories. And um, uh, I will continue to pray each time the name Northern Ireland ever comes to my ears um, concerning what God is doing here. And I really want to encourage you, especially as you continue to invest time and money and resources and talents into the work of missions, uh, to continue doing so, as we shall see in this session, our mortality calls for new faithful men. Let's read Genesis 47, and uh, we will read verse 28 down to the end of this chapter. This is only the beginning uh, of what we will look at. We will go on to look at chapter 49 and then chapter 50 and then finally we will also peep at Exodus 13. But let's begin with this Bible reading. Genesis 47 and verse 28. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph 
and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. What we have before us here is the, the death of uh, Jacob. And although it's finally recorded towards the end um, of the next few uh, chapters, nonetheless, this was the momentous occasion at which he was now preparing for his departure. And in many ways, one would look at this and quickly go on to whatever comes next because at first glance, it's as though this is just a parent who, for some strange reason, doesn't want his bones to, to remain where he, he dies. But you have to bear in mind that, in fact, this is an outworking of the promises of God. God had already revealed to, to his people, Abraham, and then Isaac, and Jacob, that he was giving to them a promised land. And it was really in that land that they were to be a truly blessed people. They were to, to experience something of, of becoming an entire nation that, that flourishes and blossoms under the, the, the presence of God as a people that are totally consecrated to him. And it was there that they were to also be a light to the nations. That as God blesses them and they flourish, so would they be a blessing to all the other nations. And so Jacob at this point was, was mindful of the fact that where they were at the moment was a temporary detour. And it was a matter of time before God would visit them and in due season take them to the promised land. And so as he's speaking to, to, to Joseph here, his, his primary interest is this outworking of the promise of God, this agenda of God, and if I might add, this multi generational agenda. That things in history don't just happen. God is taking an agenda upon history that involves the nation of Israel. And consequently, in the light of that agenda, he wants to ensure that his own remains rest in the promised land. We can apply this to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Great Commission. When our Savior was living, he, 
he also left his disciples behind. And yet, as he spoke to them, it was very clear that he did not just have them in mind. He had his eyes set right across history. There was a trajectory that went into thousands of years until his return. And so, as we shall see here, again and again, he would bring to their attention the need for them to not only be faithful themselves, but also to pass on the baton to others. And so, in this Bible reading, I, I, I want to, to bring to our hearts this realization, whether we are in the morning of life or in the evening of life or some of us in the afternoon of life, that we may be aware of the fact that we are in a relay race. And each one of us at some point receives the baton. And it's crucial that at that point each one of us ensures that we are faithful until our dying day, as we pass on the baton to others. Death is, in a sense, an awful enemy, an undefeatable enemy at a personal level. Just this morning, I, I received news that my, my fellow pastor, the mother, passed on last night. He's away in ministry in Kenya, and it's, it's the passing on of an entire epoch. The parents are moving on, and he obviously realizes responsibilities come to his shoulders. That's what was happening here. Jacob, his time had come to an end, and he felt it crucial that he should get among his sons one that he realized was truly responsible and to put on his shoulders the task of taking this responsibility on and crossing the next phase. And so we are told in verse 29 there, he called his son Joseph. And said to him, if I found favor in your eyes, I want you to swear. That's what he did to him. I want you to put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus Christ was doing with the disciples in the upper room? That passage begins with the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ knew that the time of his departure had come. He called his disciples together and spent, at least in our Bible, four solid chapters of instruction and prayer, preparing them for what would happen next, wanting them to be faithful while he was gone. And you remember one of the areas of faithfulness that he dealt with was that of love for one another. A new commandment I give you. 
By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So whatever approach you may have had towards one another, I want you to be faithful in this, exuding love towards one another. And of course, he talked about the troubles that they were going to have in the world, but kept assuring them again and again that I'm sending you the Holy Spirit who's going to come and help you. We find exactly the same with the Apostle Paul in what must have been his final epistle to Timothy, Second Timothy. And as he draws towards the beginning of the last chapter, he again speaks in, in very strong words, calling upon heaven, calling upon the living God, calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ and saying to him, preach the word in season or out of season. Preach the word. Doesn't matter what kind of circumstances there will be. I urge upon you to be faithful. Preach the word. Again, this realization that the Christian faith does not end with me. Until the Lord returns, I must pass on the baton to others. And I trust they would be faithful. Now, we're not too sure how much Jacob put into the life of, of Joseph because for quite a while Joseph had been taken away from him. But clearly, from the way in which Joseph conducted himself in Egypt, you recall especially in, in Potiphar's household and, and all that happened even while he was in prison, the, the way in which he was a model of um, trustworthiness and so on. Clearly, when he was a young man, the father had already done quite a lot investing into his life. That's what Jesus did with his disciples. He spent time with them three solid years seeking to prepare them for the time of his departure. Paul did the same. Let me ask this morning, are you doing that? Are you aware of the fact that the Christian faith does not begin and end with you? That you'll have to pass on the baton to others? Are you therefore deliberately investing into those younger lives? knowing that the work that the Lord has laid upon your hands must one day be passed on to others. Are you doing that? Because this is not a momentary situation. This is not simply realizing, oh, I'm about to die now. Who, who, who can I give this to? It takes investment. In years, in individual lives, 
for you to reach that point of assurance and confidence that this is going on to responsible shoulders. And again, you have to bear in mind that this is crucial because the lives of many are at stake. The glory of God hangs on the shoulders of, of, of vessels of clay. And therefore, we ought not to be irresponsible. Jacob chose this young man because of what the Lord had clearly done in his life. The Lord Jesus Christ had these 12 and then reduced to 11 in that upper room. He had invested in them. May we also do the same. But then, let's go on. Because those of us who inherit such responsibilities should be faithful. So we've seen it from Jacob's angle. We have seen it from the responsibility of those of us in the afternoon or evening of our lives. But the Bible also clearly helps us to see that the one on whose shoulders the responsibility is needs to ensure that he or she is faithful. Look at how seriously Joseph took this responsibility. Let's go quickly to chapter 49. To chapter 49. And I'll begin reading from verse 28. I'll be a little deliberately slow and commenting as we go along because I want us to notice the excellence with which Joseph carried out the responsibility. Verse 28. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them. Blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. And that's what has gone before from verse 1 up to verse 27. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Notice the beginning of chapter 50. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his sons, the physicians, to embalm his father. You can already begin to see Joseph beginning to play his role. He ensures his father is embalmed. We go on. 
So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh. I hope you're noticing Joseph's name coming up again and again. Saying, if now I've found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I'm about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. That's Joseph speaking to the household of Pharaoh in the hope that his plea would reach Pharaoh himself and he's asking for leave of absence. That he might go and carry out fully the responsibility that has been placed on his shoulders. Now, the father is dead. He won't be there to say to, to Joseph, now Joseph, come on. Why have you just buried me next door? What did I tell you? No, he was a faithful man. And faithfulness has to do with carrying out your responsibility as if the one who gave you that responsibility is sitting next to you. That's faithfulness. And that's what Joseph was doing here. His dad is gone. He's breathed his last. But he remembers, my father made me swear that I would do this. Let's go on. Verse 6. And Pharaoh answered him, go up and bury your father as he made you swear. Now, this is a wonderful passage. I'll try not to stop as I read it. Because the, the amount of detail, the extent to which Joseph goes, the, the glamour, the... Let's just read it. You'll see. Verse 7. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And they went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore the place was named Abel Mizraim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, 
to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. Wow. I have it in my notes here that Jacob would, have, would not have done a better job at burying himself than Joseph did. And that's what we long for as far as the future is concerned. We long to see a younger generation arise in our midst Take up that button and do such a great job that we will be glad our Lord took us home at that point. This is the responsibility of a younger generation. And how sad it is when a missionary spends and is spent the strength of his younger years going on to old age and finally goes to glory and then the work remaining in the hands of another generation is blown into shreds because of selfishness self-centeredness sinfulness And unfaithfulness. It's very sad. It's what the book of uh, Ecclesiastes speaks about when he talks about a man who has labored all his life to, to, to build an entire financial empire. And then he leaves it with his children and they blow it all up. And the wise man says, what's the point? What's the point? To have thrown in so much effort in work and toil and sweat. And soon after you're buried, the generation coming behind you destroys it all. Nothing to show for a life having been lived. Thankfully, with respect to the Lord Jesus Christ, that's why he gives his spirit. Because the spirit of God coming into the lives of God's people sanctifies them and makes the glory of God the primary goal. And hence, each one who follows in that train seeks to ensure that with all my ransomed powers, God would use me mightily to the very end. Is that what the younger generation in this place is saying? The Bangor Worldwide Missions Convention has been going on for eight years. I'm almost certain that those who were in the initial leadership have been gathered with their fathers. Those who are in the current leadership 
are also largely, I was going to say evening, but let me say afternoon of their lives. Just encourage them a little bit. But is there a younger generation rising through the ranks in whose souls the theme of missions is pulsating? Who want to do anything and everything to make sure that this annual gathering and all that it stands for will continue to another generation until the Lord returns? Do we have that kind of crop of a younger generation? So that those that are laying down the sword may do so with a sense of peace. Saying, as old Simeon once did, holding baby Jesus in his hands, Lord, now allow your servant to depart in peace for mine eyes have seen your salvation. I can now go to my rest. I've seen faithfulness already walking on two feet in young lives. It's a challenge I'm giving to those of us who may be on the starting end of the life of ministry. Is faithfulness oozing out of us already? We better thank God that the current crop have obviously done a good job to keep this ministry going. But may it be that those that take over would run with the race in such a way that by the time the Lord returns, this ministry would have only gone from one stage of glory to the other. Let's hurry on. Because, you know, faithfulness begets faithfulness. Faithfulness begets faithfulness. And this is what we see as the end of the story of Joseph. When we get into chapter 50 and verse 24 to verse 26, this is what we read. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Let's cross over to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. We'll just read verse 19. It makes the point and we will proceed. Verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. 
For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. Clearly, what Joseph had done with his father, the remains of his father had left an impact upon the younger generation. So even when we are told that he was speaking to his brothers in this way, it was really his brothers' families together with his own younger families. And in due season now, Moses is the great champion in the book of Exodus. And he still remembers not only the instruction, but clearly the example of Joseph himself. He had not forgotten what his dad had said. He had carried that on. And consequently, it has now been handed over to the younger generation. Brethren, that's actually the way the Christian faith goes on. You can be sure that the, the, the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, as, as they were proceeding to, to love the brethren were doing so primarily because Jesus himself said that you are to love one another as I have loved you. I've set you an example. You've seen it all my life. At least for the last three years. Do it to one another as well. We looked at Paul. It was exactly the same thing. By the time we're getting into chapter 3 of his second epistle, what is he saying to Timothy? He's saying, Timothy, you have seen my example. You've seen it. All I'm saying to you now is carry it out. It's exactly the same challenge that comes across the edges. You can be sure that faithful men and women beget faithful men and women. When a younger generation sees the way in which we have prized the Lord Jesus Christ, we've prized his work, we've prized the work of missions, we've spent and been spent, our actions are louder than words. Louder than words. Sadly, the opposite is also true. I'm sure you all know that fathers who simply drop off their kids at Sunday school and their wives at church and then go off to play golf the rest of Sunday send a message to their children that a sign of being a mature man is you abandon church. That's the message they get. And they should not be surprised when those kids become teenagers because teenagers think that they've now become men that you now need a bulldozer to take them to church. Because the example is what they go home with. Let me put it this way to you. Those of us who are in the afternoon and evening of the younger generation is looking at us. They are. 
And if they are seeing superficiality, they are hearing complaints, it's that missions convention again. Oh, no. Just know it's seeping through into their hearts. They can see from their hypocrisy that this is not worth investing one's life in. You lose them. You really do. And later on, we start complaining about the young people. Well, the problem is, they've seen through our hypocrisy. And they've simply refused to be fellow hypocrites. That's all. What we are now seeing in them is the real us. And God will judge us together with them in the end. May it not be so with us. May God help us to so carry out our responsibility in our generation with such faithfulness that if the next generation becomes unfaithful, they will not use us as an excuse. Definitely not. But that indeed among them, God will bring to birth something of the reality that we saw here in Moses. A desire to do what Joseph did for Jacob. A desire to also spend and be spent to follow this trajectory of God's purpose across history. Israel was finally to go back to Canaan. That's the promised land. We must do our work to get there. Joseph is gone. Moses is up. He must do it. Moses is gone. Joshua is up. He must do it. Until we are back in the promised land. May it be so with us. May the work of missions across the generations to come until the Lord returns, be upheld and carried forth by faithful men and women. And may it be because this generation was faithful that our children saw it. They heard and they had no excuse. But long after we are buried to take up that baton and run with it. Run with it. Run with it. Oh, that the Lord Jesus Christ might be honored. Not only by us gathered in this place, but by those who 50 years, 100 years from now will be gathered in this place or in a place like this. Still with the theme of the unfinished task burning in their souls. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the example that we see in Jacob, in Joseph, 
in Moses. At a human level, this is just taking bones to final resting places. But in the wide sweep of scripture, it is the faith of God's elect that the promises of God will be fulfilled for his people. And oh, that that same faith might be true among us. That we might be utterly convinced that history revolves around the ingathering of the elect from every nation, tribe, people, and nation. And that this is not a work for angels, but mortal men and women in whom the Spirit resides. Lord, help us. Help us to be faithful today, for the baton has been passed on to us. Help us. Help us to give birth to a generation of faithful men and women to whom we may pass on that pattern. Our mortality, Lord, demands this. And grant that when we too draw our feet and are gathered with our fathers, we may do so with a sense of peace that we've handed over the work to a faithful band who can do a far better job than we can ever dream to do. Lord, we ask this for your glory. For your glory. For your glory. Amen. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.